a special edition of Bavarian Podcast Works. This is Chuck Smith, and I'm going to be here with a familiar voice, someone you probably haven't heard in a while, but someone we wanted to dust off and bring back to discuss the World Cup now that it's all over. Let's welcome back Jake Fenner to the program. Jake, how's it going? Uh, It's going pretty well, Chuck. It's been about four to five weeks of a lot of busy work on my end, and now it is all wrapped up. Uh, Can't say the same for Germany, but, you know, (laughs) we did our best. I think it was was Schnitzel that commented on my goodbye post that said, we'll have to have Jake come over as a guest uh, to do explicit rants whenever a Bayern manager gets sacked. But uh, this isn't that, but I promise that'll be as close as I can to not screaming at nine o'clock in the morning (laughs) and that's right we are recording this on wednesday morning and it's given us a couple of days to process the entire world cup tournament and mostly i think what has taken the world by storm maybe more so than any other football event that i've ever seen uh is just how great the final was how improbable everything that happened in that game was and how we saw two just incredible players take their games to the next level in Kylian Mbappe and Leo Messi. Jake, give me your impressions on the match. I thought that it was just a fantastic way for the, for the tournament to end and also was just drama filled and was able to really capture the hearts and minds of people who really might not even be football fans. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, to me, it's the greatest game that I've ever seen. Like, I I think by far and away, it's the best World Cup final ever. Um, I remember looking back through, like, all of the scores, and a lot of World Cup finals are normally, like, relatively tense, but mostly boring affairs in terms of scoring output, right? Like, you could argue that the most recently truly, like, gripping World Cup final was 2006 Italy versus France. That game was nil-nil until we hit penalties, right? Uh, 2018's was boring and one-sided because it was 3-0 for France. Uh, 2014 was exciting, but it was 1-0, right? It was nil-nil up until the 118th minute, thanks to Mario Goetze. Um, 2010, same thing, nil-nil up until Iniesta scored. So... So for a game that's normally the culmination of something grand, it's kind of been a boring result, and this could not be anything further from that, right? At at first, it was probably going to be set on that course, right? 2-0, Argentina went up really early, Um And then Mbappe scoring 97 seconds apart, uh, two different goals, is just a wild, wild result. And then to have both of them, both Messi and Mbappe score again in extra time, only for penalties to be the deciding factor was amazing. Now, I have to fully disclose, I picked Argentina to win the World Cup way back in um like november like 
like early November, I picked Argentina to win the World Cup. When we did a re-bracket of like everything now that the round of 16 had happened, I think I had only gotten three teams wrong. I picked the U.S. to advance, I picked Switzerland to advance, and I picked Spain to get third place. But I had France-Argentina as my final, so I went into this relatively happy, but... I don't I I was rooting aggressively for Argentina. I was now, I was not as high on Argentina coming into the tournament to be honest, Jake. I I I did not like the makeup of their squad and I'll be honest, I didn't like their squad and I think that that really kind of rang true as we watched them play and it wasn't that they weren't great players or didn't play a really impressive style. It's that I thought they acted so petulant and I was expecting that. And I got everything that I expected out of them. And it was a weird situation for me because I I didn't necessarily want France to win and I didn't want Argentina to win. So I I just called the game insufferable. So uh, I, but I loved every second of it for what it's worth, but I I get what you're saying. Like you were on this from the beginning, Mm -hmm. you know, to be able to see, like, I just didn't see the storybook ending working out for Messi. I thought this team would flame out. And especially after that first match against Saudi Arabia, I was surprised at the way they rebounded from that. And to to me, I, I mean, they deserved it as much as I don't want to admit that. I thought that they were in the end, the best team. Yeah. I think that, I think they completely deserved it. Um, With the exception of that, Saudi Arabia game and it should be reminded that or people should be reminded that you know when Spain won the World Cup in 2010 they suffered a shock loss at the beginning of their campaign um I think overall as a squad Argentina was like arguably the sneakiest most talented squad out of out of everybody right um, the fact that you had Paulo Dybala and Lautaro Martinez routinely starting on the bench and not having any trouble finding goals is a testament to how great this squad was. Um, right. Enzo Fernandez's transfer value is going to balloon and skyrocket. Brighton and Hove Albion are about to get a hundred something million pounds or euros or whatever they decide to get for Alexis McAllister. Um they're they're gonna be set for life. Um but I mean the one thing that I really cared about was that my favorite footballer not named Thomas Muller won the World Cup. Um the greatest now now I think I was I was telling some of my friends about this. To me in terms of what this means for the status of a player to me this is the equivalent of tom brady winning super bowl 51 and super bowl 51 was that comeback against the the falcons mm-hmm. i'm not saying that the world cup and the super bowl are equivalent i would argue that they're not i would argue that the world cup is a much bigger thing in terms of status but the reason why i compared Messi winning this World Cup to Tom Brady winning Super Bowl 51 is this. Going into this game, you basically kind of already accepted and knew in your heart, whether or not you had already said it, that 
he was the goat. He was the greatest of all time, indisputably, right? But winning the World Cup and Tom winning that Super Bowl with that comeback basically solidified that point that yes, 100%, they're the greatest to ever do it. If you think otherwise, then I don't know how much of a leg you have to stand on. Now, if your argument is going to come back and you're going to say something like Pele or Maradona, I can kind of understand that, right? But I think that we need to understand this. Pele won the World Cup four times, and I think you could make the argument that he was the greatest World Cup player of all time, even though he doesn't have the goal-scoring record because that's now set by Miroslav Klose, and then it was surpassed by Christine Sinclair. But, and and, sorry, Marta at the World Cup, I believe. And then the international goal-scoring record is set by Christine Sinclair. But... Maradona did not score nearly as many goals, and he played in an arguably more advanced era of football than Pele did. And Messi has scored more goals than Maradona, and he has a World Cup to his name, and he played a much, much more advanced era. So for me, right, somebody who's got no Argentinian blood in them at all and has no ties to Argentina other than wanting Messi to do well, I was way too nervous coming into this match, and I was way too nervous while it happened, right? I think my blood pressure spiked at (laughs) 152 when Emmy Martinez made that save on Kolomuani to save the... um, that, that to was save incredible. that in extra time, my blood pressure didn't dip below 128 from the 65th minute. Like, I was 100% sure that I was either going to pass out or just have a heart attack because <laughs> of how aggressively, like, you know, how aggressively into it I was, right? And I've gotten into games before. I don't think I've ever truly gotten into games as much as... I got into this one because when I watched Germany win in 2014, it was at the infancy of my soccer fandom. So for me to watch this as intensively as I did, while I love this World Cup final, I don't think I ever want to watch it again just because of all (laughs) of the stress that I had from this. I was watching it at... um, a speaky a soccer speakeasy that Kyle Martino had set up for for this World Cup. Um, he invited a whole bunch of celebrities. John Leguizamo was there, but I didn't see him. I did see Susan Sarandon; she was there. Um, <laughs> it's a long but, way from mingling in in Slack with Tom Adams, right, Jake? Hey, hey. I mean, <laughs> we should all be so lucky, but. <laughs> But just to wrap it up, I was surrounded by a bunch of Argentinians and to just see all of them share in my collective stress probably made my stress a lot worse. But then to also see them win, like the moment the penalty went in from Montiel, I screamed. And then when the camera cut to Messi, I sobbed. I like broke down sobbing, I think harder than I have in a while, just because to see that man finally get it is like the culmination of my emotions as a football fan. Yeah, I I was able to watch this without having any strong rooting interest. As I said, I didn't really like either team. And I think that is a testament to how great the game actually was that 
you know, despite the fact that I had no rooting interest, despite the fact I really didn't like either set of players, I found the game enthralling. I couldn't take my eyes off of it. And to me, it it does go down as one of the greatest games among any sport that I have ever seen. Uh, A couple of takeaways that I had from it, aside of what you said about Messi, and I do agree that this probably cemented his role as the goat of the modern game and and maybe of all time it's to me it's always so tough to compare eras just because of the not just you know logistical issues that that were around back in the day with travel and 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 how players moved from league to league and, and how feasible it was to even jump from south america to europe at certain times or from north america to europe or europe to asia or whatever it, it's it's so different from era to era it's 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 just tough to compare but i think messi did cement himself as this generation's goat perhaps the game's all-time goat um you know what he did was exactly what he's done for the majority of his career which is rise at the moment where he's needed and carry a team. He had just never really done that fully on this big of a stage with Argentina. So in some ways it was good to see. I still think at times Messi can be, I don't want to say jerk because in the end, I mean, so many athletes are jerks. He sometimes can rub people the wrong way. That Argentina squad, uh, especially Emmy Martinez could, could definitely rub a lot of people the wrong way. Uh, But you know, in the end, they deserve to win. Uh, Messi deserved that that final trophy to put on his mantle. And uh, you know, one thing, Jake, that I, I did want to touch on with with France, and we didn't talk too much about them. And you know, it's always tough to repeat. And 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 granted, I thought that Argentina came out and dominated them from the outset in the first half. Like Argentina was laser focused and ready. France looked like it was still warming up. But the fact that we've seen in the last couple of days, you know, stories come out about Kylian Mbappe rallying his teammates at halftime, pushing them to get more out of themselves. And then subsequently, France coming back and making that kind of comeback and, and pushing Argentina to the limit. It does say a lot about him. And I've been pretty critical of him at times because I, I do think at times, like many other players, he can be a bit of a baby. But this showed me something about him. And we always knew he was a talent, but we didn't know if he was going to be the kind of player that could lead a group. And to me, this showed that he absolutely could. Did you have any thoughts on Mbappe and what he was able to do and just pushing his team to get back into that match? I think the last World Cup, Mbappe didn't really need to be that kind of person. Right. Right. You have to look at just the names on that team at the time. Luis was the captain. You had Blaise Matuidi in the midfield. You had Paul Pogba in the midfield. You had N'Golo Kante as more of like a silent leader in that midfield. This time around, right, Luis was still there. Uh, Matuidi has long since retired from the national team. Um, and Pogba and Kante were injured. So you kind of look around this team Right. And outside Larice, you need somebody to be that leader. Right. Giroud, I imagine, had something to do with that. But you look at France's midfield. France's midfield is mostly young players. Right. You got Kamavinga, you got Shoemani. Right. Rabio's not necessarily young anymore, but Rabio's still like not like fully, has not fully been established. 
establishment in the squad. I know there's probably still some fallout from uh, the Euros with his mother, still something to do with that. So you look at that team and you look at who's consistently being fielded. Who else but Kylian Mbappe can really be that guy, be that person that is like in the spotlight to kind of take a lot of shit for the team right (laughs) and also be the kind of person that says hey i'm taking all of this shit we can be better right i imagine that mbappe was that kind of person and i think this world cup he he i think if there is anybody in the future that's going to challenge at minimum ronaldo cr7s um legacy it will be killian mbappe um, I don't know if he'll necessarily match Messi because I, I think that the question of greatest of all time, like it owes itself to a lot of different things, right? Goal scoring output is definitely a massive thing. But for me, the reason why Messi is the greatest of all time is because I've seen Messi do things that I've never seen anybody do. And I don't think I will ever see anybody replicate, right? Because the the style and panache to which he scores goals um the art in which he scores goals is at a different level than I think even Pele or Maradona was able to establish but I think if anybody of this current generation of footballers can be able to step up and challenge that mantle it'll be Kylian Mbappe and you could just see the disappointment but also the anger in his eyes after losing that world cup And I think that's going to one, make the PSG locker room toxic as hell. It'll, it'll be, it'll be so much fun to hear the stories coming back. Um, But more importantly, I think that's going to light a fire under him. And I think that's going to make France really, really tough um, to beat for 2026. And I'll also say this. I think much like when I was watching the Euro 2021 final go down, when I was watching the Euro 2021 final go down to penalties, I remember watching it rooting very hard against England, rooting very much for Italy. And then when I saw Jaden Sancho step up to take his penalty, the first thought that went through my head, because I don't think he had fully committed to Manchester United at that point. I was like, I was thinking to myself, Oh, I'm like rooting against your team, but I hope that you're not one of the people that miss. Um, Cause I know what's coming for you if you do miss. And then he missed. And then I felt terrible. And then of course, Sokka was just a whole different thing, but I saw Kingsley Coman come up to take the second penalty. And I felt the exact same thing in that moment. Like I like the only time the entire game I was ever able to just disassociate from the moment and the emotion and what was going on was when I saw Kingsley Coleman come up to take the second penalty. And I was like, buddy, like, I want you to miss, but I hope that you don't because I don't want you to face the world after you miss this penalty, because I know that. I know that the French are going to completely forget who won them their last World Cup. And so I 
I saw him step up. I saw Martinez. He didn't even miss it, right? Like, Shomani completely missed it because Martinez got in his head. But Colon got his saved, and I didn't even cheer. I was like, ah. It was a weird spot for Coman. I mean, it really was. I mean, when we see him at Bayern Munich, he's never been that leading type player. Never. He's, I mean, granted, he did score the Champions League winning goal, but he's always been one of those complimentary pieces. And then all of a sudden, it just looked like he was thrust into this, like, extremely important role for France there. Yeah. In the second half and extra time where he's taking set pieces, like something we never see him do at Bayern. You know, he's the, this, what was he, the second penalty taker? He was the I second mean, penalty taker. Yeah, I'm I mean, shocked it, that Marcus Taram wasn't anywhere in the five. Yeah. <laughs> Especially nowhere early in the five, right? Like, you're talking about the guy that's a striker, a starting striker for Borussia Mönchengladbach, and we're going to go ahead and put Kingsley Coman, who I don't think I've ever seen take a penalty at Bayern. I haven't seen it with my eyes. He may or have. Or at least but... not. He might have done it in like a Pokal match, but I don't think I've personally ever seen him take a penalty. I just thought I thought that was weird. And then I read in an article, right, that Didier Deschamps does not believe in practicing penalty kicks because he feels that nothing can nothing in training can replicate the pressure of a final. And I can agree to, with that to some extent. But at the same time, it's still right, a skill. You still have to. Practice. You still need to practice the yeah. kick, right? You still need to know who's who's good enough to like be able to stand on the spot and slot a kick home, right? So, I, I don't blame Kingsley for miss for having his penalty saved. I yeah. just felt really bad for him in that moment. And then to read the tweet from the Bayern accounts about condemning the racism that he's faced just made me feel like shit i was just like i i knew it was coming like like it's one of those things where you know it shouldn't happen but you also know it's coming and he doesn't deserve it yeah he doesn't deserve it at all show Maney doesn't also really deserve it right like you're really gonna go ahead and, and blame players for missing penalty kicks Right, one of the most arbitrary things that you could possibly do as a footballer, right? And especially Coman, right? Because again, Coman didn't sky it, he didn't miss it like terribly. He got it saved. It looked like a well taken penalty, and Martinez just read it well. Yeah, it's you know, the unfortunate thing with the world today is there are faceless, nameless people out there who can harass anyone, you know, just by picking up their phone and you know, anyone that does that, in my mind, is a complete idiot. Like, you should never go after someone online. It's just, I don't know. To me, it's cowardly, especially if it's any type of sports figure who has experienced failure in a match or a game. It's just stupid. It's needless. Doesn't need to uh, Doesn't need to happen ever. And, Jake, speaking of things that didn't need to happen ever, <laughs> let's transition over to Germany's yeah. performance at the Why World don't Cup. We? Oh my <laughs> because God. that was an out and out debacle. They set the tone with a, just a a huge collapse against Japan. We thought there might be some hope against Spain, but again, they played flat for much of that match. Could not really muster any effective goal scoring, um, to say the least. And by the time they did, it was too late. And then setting themselves up for the inevitable early exit. 
they just were not in a position as a squad to even control what was going to happen. So despite the fact they closed on a win against Costa Rica, I don't think you could find any German fan that would say this was successful. This was fun. This was not painstaking. It was awful on every single level. You could levy the blame at the manager as he had some extremely questionable decisions. Uh, You could really also point the finger at the players who were quite frankly bad in most instances and did not live up to their potential. There was nothing redeemable at this World Cup to me, Jake, for Germany. What was what was your impression of what you saw? It wasn't even like 2018. <laughs> like this was entirely different from 2018 because 2018 you kind of had that hope from the second game, right? Yeah. The moment that Kroos curled that free kick in, you were just like, "Oh wow, Germany is going to be fine. We're going to get out of this group." Uh especially after that loss to Mexico and then to have it get absolutely bottled by a terrible performance against South Korea this was entirely different like you know from the moment you we all kind of felt it from the moment that that 2-1 happened against Japan it was like yeah. oh god damn it not again but um I mean I personally knew that it was going to be a shit world cup when I ordered a Marco Royce jersey back in like <laughs> the end of September and then Marco Royce like injured himself two now weeks we before the World Cup happened. I was like, "Oh great! Like this is not gonna be good at all." Um... <laughs> I, I I looked at the whole situation. <laughs> what, what, what can I say, really? Yeah, I mean, I looked at the whole situation, and I came away disappointed in so many different things. And oh, it was yeah. tough to really nail down, like what I felt more angry about was it (laughs) flicks inability to see that Thomas Muller could bring nothing to the table in that tournament. And and listen, it's not as much a knock on Muller. He was banged up, not operating at a hundred percent. He wanted to be out there, but at some point as the manager, you just have to go with the player that was more effective. And and that player was Nicholas Fulkrug. Uh, was it the fact that we toyed around with Ilkay Gundogan playing in the central midfield when he looked like toast two years ago playing for the national team? Was it the lack of any type of cohesion or really consistency of who to use along the back line and what positions they would play? You got really nothing out of some players who, who needed to give you something. You had brief glimpses of, of what Leroy Sané could do. You got really almost nothing out of Serge Gnabry. Uh, there's so many different ways you, you could go on this. But in the end, I, I put the blame on both the players and Flick for how this all played out. I think they were equally at fault. And, and I think that there are a lot of questions moving forward. And, and I don't know with where this group of players is and what the player pool is like right now how easy it's going to be to rally up a great team for the next Euro. Like I know that Germany is really eyeing that, but I I don't, I don't see how it's going to change much unless they can figure some things out and develop some players. And as of right now, I think they're way behind the eight ball. I think one of the things that I personally liked about Hansi's hire by the DFB was that I like Hansi's ability to, see something in a game, see it doesn't work, or something does work, and then change it, right? For everything that you for everything that you just said about 
Gundawan and Muller. Were Gundawan and Muller like not pretty much head and shoulders the most important players and the best performing players on the field in the game against Japan? Like the moment they got taken off, the team looked different. The team looked very different that game. And I don't and it's it's hard to like go back now and say rabble rabble how dare you hanzi take them off right but even at the time i was like why the hell are we taking them both off at the same time like it's one thing to take one of them off it's another thing to take both of them off especially at a point when you're only up one nil right you need to you need to still find a way to control the game right and i don't think the answer is to bring on goretzka and then i forget who else he brought on for uh for Gundawan. But um but the one the one thing that I keep coming back to was Hanzi's comments after the tournament ended when he said something to the effect of this country has not developed a number nine since Closa, and that's something that we need to do. And I agree with that. But it just it it aggravated me so much that one, he only brought one number nine, right? And I thought that was weird, right? Like, granted, you're not going to bring, like, Jean-Luc Evolgement, right? Right. Uh, you're not going to bring uh, Kleindist from Dar- from uh, Heidenheim or anybody from, like, Darmstadt or anybody in, like, the second division, right? Because that's basically after after Fulkrug where you fall off. But the thing that made no sense to me was starting Havertz at the nine right and then having Fuku come on and do very well without scoring a goal against Japan and then starting Gnabry at the nine in the next game and then bringing on Fuku and then he scores a goal and then in that third game you wait forever to bring Fuku on right like he's not I know that he's not the most dynamic striker in the world right but he was the guy they needed at that point he was your guy yeah. He was scoring goals. When Nicholas Fulkrug came on for all three games, the team looked better. It looked more offensively minded. They, they looked were more dangerous. Better shots on, right? And it was a lot better. Right? I made this comment to one of my coworkers. I was like, if I had a nickel for every single time that I saw Leroy Sané cut in from the right to shoot a ball 90 feet over the bar, <laughs> I could buy Manhattan. But the fact that the offense just seemed hell-bent on having that happen, having Sané kind of get a shot up, or to have Muller try some weird thing, right? The continual running of a false nine just really aggravated me for some reason, because that's never been Germany's thing, right? That's only been Germany's thing now that Kloza isn't here. And so... To have full crew come on and have the team look better in all three of the, or at least the two games before the Costa Rica game. And for Hansi to just sit there and say, yeah, we'll still start Canabry, just boggles my mind. And more importantly, or no, I think it was Muller in that last game, which Hansi, you've seen Muller operate. You know that Muller can play as a striker, but, but that's not his main thrust. If you have a striker that's been performing as well as Fulkrug has, 
Why do you have him on the bench for Muller to start at striker? It just, it, it did not seem like the right decisions were made at any stage of the starting 11 selection or even in the mid game selection sometimes. Right. Yeah. It really went against everything that flick had, had, shown as coach of Bayern Munich and it it went against everything he had shown those first few games when he took over Germany there was no adjustment there was no changing the way he thought he just rolled out one thing and hoped it worked and it didn't It, it really it really didn't um so I mean I'm glad that they 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 had to do their firings right and that Hansi wasn't the guy that got fired um, I could totally see him getting fired after Euro 24 because um, I, unless Yusufa Makuku takes a massive step forward, um, what, Fulker's going to be like 32 at that point, like 31, 32 at that point. I don't know if he'll necessarily be touching the starting lineup. Um, right, well, but, Jake, you do know what time it will be right around Euros, right? I mean, if he's healthy, if he doesn't, <laughs> if he doesn't absolutely, you know, like tear his ACL outright. Like, did you? Did you think breaking that... down the ring, the wing against Darmstadt? I will say <laughs> there were a number of times that I thought to myself, "Damn, Timo Werner would be really nice right about yeah, now." Yeah, I, I but... think a lot of fans felt that way at times. <laughs> I was and... Like, where? Wow, Timo Werner would be a great addition to this team, right? About you know, now. and I was just sitting back, like Lord Ass Hogan, and stand by me, <laughs> admiring the damage that I had had done all these years touting Timo Werner and seeing all the Germany fans clamoring for him after that mess. But, I mean, but, hey, Jan Fita Arp's not walking through that door. Right, exactly. Right. So <laughs> all my guys all it. my guys would have come up huge and you know it. <laughs> so, oh my God. A- anyway, I think the, the biggest takeaway that you and I can say from this is that Germany needs to be better. We're looking forward to them being better, but I think you and I are both skeptical that yeah. is going to happen in time for Euros. I mean, it was an absolute disaster. It was just a wasted opportunity. That's the way that I really look at it. Mm-hmm. Um, because, because you really needed to have your... You you needed to at least make the round of 16, right? Yeah, you needed to at least You needed to at least make the round of 16. You needed to prove that Germany wasn't a flute that... Germany wasn't a fluky team that what happened in 2018 was a fluke and that you could be able to pick yourselves up and move yourselves on. Now, granted their, their, their team, their, their, their group was kind of shoddy from the beginning. We all kind of knew that Mm -hmm. Japan was going to put up a good fight, that Spain was going to be Spain. Right. So for them to go into that Japan game and come out with no points probably doomed them. Right? Probably definitely did doom them. Um, so for them to just kind of like take their foot off the pedal was really weird in that game. Um, so if anything, right, this doesn't this doesn't bring you all the way back to square one like it did after the the, the love firing. Um, it brings you back to the point of the immediate aftermath of the loss to South Korea, but it doesn't carry nearly as much the same emotion, 
right? You need to you need to find a way to recover your team, recover yourselves, and like build towards the next great thing without any clear direction of where that's going to be, right? Because what by the time that twenty four rolls around, Rice is going to be like. 31 32 33 same for muller um like your core is aging what neuer is going to be like 38 39 yeah i mean those guys are they are if if they are on the squad they are veteran seldom used veteran leaders i think at that point yeah we need we need to start bracing ourselves for the full reality that 2024 mark andre ter is going to be starting in that but <laughs> Uh, I'm sorry, I just shuddered a little bit. Um, yeah. if not him, then like Kevin Trapp or somebody. Like, I'd actually be fine with Kevin Trapp or like Oliver Bauman over over Mark Andre Tischtegen. But yeah. um, and, and Jake, on yeah. that thought, with 2024 at, at at the forefront of everything now for Germany, there's a lot of work to be done. Yeah, and much like Germany, you and I our outro <laughs> uh they 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 had a terrible world cup and you and i uh have had a lot of fun talking about it but our time yeah. here is wrapping up so yep. jake where can the listeners find you these days and, and where can they get you on social social media you can follow me on twitter at jake fenner underscore you can find my work covering the NFL, the NBA, occasionally the NHL. I try to push for a couple NHL stories here and there. College football, things like that over at uh, dailymail.com. Uh, and uh, yeah, that'll be it. All right. As for me, you can get me at the Barrel Blog on Twitter. You can always get the site at Bavarian FB Works. Check out all of our great podcasters and writers at BavarianFootballWorks.com. Jake, it was awesome to get back with you. Hopefully we can do this again soon. Yeah, glad to be back. We'll see you next time.